0: If giving season is here, and for the military history lover on your list, check out my book about the Black Medal of Honor recipients of World War II. Immortal Valor chronicles these timeless heroes' life journeys through all the pain and struggle until their ultimate triumphs. I hope you purchased the book or audiobook, which is available now in stores and online. Welcome to Hamilton at War, our 12-part weekly podcast series that brings to life, in vivid historical and emotional detail, Alexander Hamilton's Revolutionary War service. I'm Robert Child, and I hope you enjoy this latest installment. Hamilton at War, written by Robert Child and narrated by James Gillis. After an arduous march with Gates' two brigades Hamilton arrived back at Valley Forge as winter tightened its grip. January snows swirled across woods and open fields. In the blue-grey distance Hamilton saw smoke rising from small log huts in the American camp. He and Gibbs reached the edge of camp and made their way past scattered, decomposing horses. The atmosphere was despondent and gloomy. Wretched, barely clothed men huddled around sputtering campfires. Many had no shoes and stood barefoot in the snow. One soldier wiggled a tooth despairingly and pulled it out easily. Hamilton's face betrayed his horror at the sights before him. Washington's headquarters was a compact, two-storey Pennsylvania stone farmhouse on a small rise near a stream. It stood stark against the snow. Hamilton entered the house and shook off the cold. Washington was alone in his office writing. Hamilton appeared at his doorway. Washington saw him and rose. My boy, it's good to finally have you home. Hamilton's face, frozen in deep concern, and stunned by the sights he had seen upon entering camp, stood rigid. Washington noticed. "'I am most pleased to be back in your service, General. "'But the men! "'Some are in rags, half-naked in this bitter cold. "'What has become of the army?' Washington winced, almost embarrassed, and sat behind his desk. "'Yes, Colonel, we are managing as best as we can.' "'Numerous petitions have been forwarded to Congress, and we await arrival of supplies any day.' Hamilton slowly shook his head. "'Have they no conscience? No shame? Does Congress not know the gravity of our condition?' Washington leaned forward. "'Perhaps, Colonel, you could take in hand a sharp pen and remind them.' Hamilton sadly nodded his head in agreement, then changed the subject. Your Excellency, may I discuss the matter I only alluded to in my correspondence? Yes, yes, speak freely. At Saratoga, I became reacquainted with a long-time friend, whom I thought killed at Brooklyn. He is now an aide on General Gates' staff. By the look on Washington's face, he sensed this was probably disturbing information he was about to hear. My friend has read certain letters sent directly to the General from Congress members, as well as officers within the army. Hamilton paused. There was no good way to say it. There is a definite movement within to place General Gates in command of the entire Continental Army. Washington frowned. He got up, disgusted, and stormed back and forth. He knew the instigators. It's General Conway and his cabal. Washington's anger changed, abruptly to caution. Thank you. "'for this Colonel. "'I do not speak of this among the staff. "'I must determine how best to proceed.' "'Of course, Your Excellency,' Hamilton saluted and left quickly. Washington stood alone looking down at the pile of work on his desk. "'Damn them!' he said under his breath. Hamilton left Washington's headquarters, head down, talking out his planned letter to Congress. Lawrence, just coming toward headquarters, saw Hamilton talking to the air. What folly has become us? The want of foresight belies comprehension. The army must. Talking with yourself, sir! Lawrence commented. Hamilton looked up, surprised, then smiled. Yes, John. A habit I've tried for years to break. Lawrence smiled. As Hamilton turned serious, John, what has happened to the army? the supplies have been slow. It has been dreadful. If the States could simply be urged more strenuously—' Hamilton was angered. "'Don't you see, John? That is the true issue. The States watch out more for their own interests than the common interests of the Confederacy.' Lauren's face tightened. He'd heard this argument before. Hamilton continued. "'John, honestly!' You consider yourself a South Carolinian first, rather than an American, which is understandable. But a nation cannot be built upon second-hand loyalties. I have no such ties. I consider myself an American citizen first. Hamilton, I am as strong in nationalist sentiment as you, and many brave men from every state have died for a singular cause, the liberty of one nation. I honour their sacrifice. But not until the people think of themselves as a race of Americans will our objective be achieved. It is beyond rational understanding how parochial considerations blind our citizens to their own country's promise of greatness. In the pale, fading orange light of a late winter sky, General Washington, on his white horse, entered a small clearing in the woods at Valley Forge. The snow crunched beneath his boots as he dismounted, and moved to the centre of the clearing. Bowing to one knee, and removing his hat, he gazed skyward, searching the heavens, then spoke. O most glorious God, my most merciful and loving Father, I come to you, your most humble and obedient servant. My spirit longs to know your will. Our army suffers unimaginable hardships. I know not how we have become so unworthy of your grace, but I humbly beseech thee, in yet our darkest hour, empower me with your wisdom. Resurrect my faith, and direct me to your true object, so that the cause may once again receive your divine and most holy blessing. Then he returned his gaze downward. After his contemplation and prayers in the clearing, Washington returned across the sweeping Valley Forge landscape and arrived back at his headquarters home. He noticed two fine horses tied up at his door. Hamilton, having heard Washington's approach, appeared at the door with a knowing smile. Curious, Washington dismounted and entered his headquarters. A seasoned commander from New York and an old trusted friend Forty-seven-year-old General Alexander MacDougall, and an emissary, the brother of Silas Dean, diplomat Simeon Dean, awaited him. Gentlemen, MacDougall and Dean rose from their chairs with an almost giddy air. MacDougall said, Your Excellency, this is Mr. Simeon Dean, just arrived on the sensible from France with news. General Washington, sir, it is my great honour to convey to you long sought-for news. His Majesty King Louis Sixteenth has signed the Treaty of Alliance. France now officially recognizes the sovereignty of our united colonies as a free and independent nation. Washington was stunned. Hamilton, standing off to the side, excitedly added, And Britain has just declared war on France. Washington moved slowly and slipped into his chair. After a moment he spoke. It is our deliverance. Indeed, Dean said. With your permission, General, I must make haste in my return to Congress. I had informed them of the news on my way here. Shall I bring them your respects? Yes, Mr. Dean, have them know that we shall set aside a special day of prayer, and hold a grand parade in camp to celebrate this momentous turn in our fortunes. Dean and MacDougall, sporting broad smiles, exited Washington's office. The next morning the sun shone brightly and Washington's troops gathered at attention to listen to Hamilton recite General Washington's Order of the Day. Holding the paper with both hands, Hamilton looked out across the soldiers and began. Order of the Day It having pleased the almighty ruler of the universe propitiously to defend the cause of the united American states and finally by raising us up a powerful friend among the princes of the earth to establish our liberty and independence upon lasting foundations, it becomes us to set apart this day for gratefully acknowledging the divine goodness and celebrating the important event which we owe to his benign interposition. In short order, the harsh Valley Forge winter turned to spring, and supplies arrived in camp. Much-needed clothing and blankets were distributed from wagons to the waiting men. General Green, acting as quartermaster, directed all efforts. Along with the good news of renewed supplies came a scout to Washington's door. The scout animatedly informed Hamilton of some very good news. Hamilton thanked him and rushed to inform his commander. Your Excellency, a scout reports the British fleet has embarked from Philadelphia. Washington threw down his quill. Well, this is a turn. It must be headed northward. The main body of the infantry must pass through the jerseys on the way to New York. It could be the opportunity we seek. Washington rose, feeling bolder. Colonel, summon the council, and also send word to Governor Clinton. Perhaps, at last, this army can strike a blow. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thanks for listening. I'm Robert Child and be with us next week for another exciting installment of Hamilton at War, only on Point of the Spear. Music licensed from Audioblocks.com. Point of the Spear is produced by RSC Media Group.